morning again. Uh, I'm up here to introduce to you, if you haven't had a chance to meet her, this is Pastor Katrina. She's been with us for a couple of years. She came to us as a conference ministerial candidate, which is somebody who is working towards ordination as an elder in the Free Methodist Church. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Katrina had an interview with the ordination board, if you will, and they uh, granted her uh, the position of elder in the Free Methodist Church. So we celebrate that with Katrina. That's a, that's a great accomplishment. Um, and she is going to bring the message today. This is a, she's preached a number of times in various places, but this is the first time that she'll be preaching here at North. So would you once again welcome her this morning? Thank you, Pastor Vern. And thank you. Um, it's so good to see you. Um, it's been a it's been a wild journey. Um, like Pastor Vern says, it's been a few years, um, and I just want to say God has been faithful and patient, and um, I just need to attest to that today. Um, so today we're going to start talking about John 4. We're in a series um, called Red Letters as we work through uh, the book of John. So if you want to turn to your Bibles or in your apps or whatever, but most of the scripture is going to be on the screen anyway. So there you go. <clears throat> Have you ever had a meeting or appointment that you didn't expect and didn't know you needed? When I thought of this question, I was instant re instantly reminded of how I met one of my best friends. We were both in direct sales, it was a long time ago, and she sold card-making supplies and I sold candles, and we were invited to an, a vendor event. There were about 30 of us people who were in direct sales in this one space, and the way they set up the room meant that Stephanie and I ended up back-to-back -back in the middle of the room. The weather that day was horrible, which meant very few people attended, except for the people who were there who had spent time setting things up. But what that did was give me an opportunity, give Stephanie and I an opportunity to just chat. I thought, you know, it was a pleasant thing. But over the course of the day, we learned that we were both women of faith, we both had kids, pretty much the exact same ages, and um, we uh, <laughs> were both mostly stay-at-home noms. By the end of the day, I thought it was a pleasant day. I'd met somebody that was nice to chat with and thought that was it. Within the next three to four weeks, we had talked on the phone several times. We were setting up playdates for our children. It was just one of those friendships that developed very quickly. Um, and I have to admit that over the years, we've had some pretty crazy adventures and held each other up as we've dealt with grief and the joys of life. Why do I tell you about this? I went to that vendor event not knowing that I would meet one of the people that I can't imagine having to do life without. It was an unexpected meeting that has given me someone with whom I can be honest and goofy and creative and all the things. And I'm the same for her. And I like to brag on my friend. She's a pretty amazing person. The woman that we will be meeting today, in today's scripture, had an appointment that she was not expecting and she didn't know she was going to have. She, like me, was going to meet someone that would change her life and her appointment had much more serious implications than mine did. Just a quick note before we get too far, there is way more in this passage than I can reasonably cover in a 20-minute sermon. There will be things that we will gloss over, but please do not take that to mean that this should be disregarded. 
Let's start by reading. Now he, he meaning Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. We are introduced to the two people that we will be discussing today, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Yes, this series is called Red Letters, the words of Jesus in some of your Bibles, but we need to get to know the person with whom he is speaking to understand what he's saying. This conversation is the longest recorded conversation Jesus has with any single person in all of the Gospels. So Jesus is on his way from Judea in the south, heading to Galilee, after having had some level of run-ins with the religious authorities. In the book of John, he's already upset the temple, overturned tables and the things. Um, and the shortest way to get from Judea to Galilee was through Samaria. Now, many of us have, even if you're not familiar with Bible stories, have heard the term Good Samaritan. There's even laws that say it's the Good Samaritan law which may lead us to believe that Samaritans were really wonderful people. Others of us understand that that term was taken from a story that Jesus told that showed that while the religious authorities were theologically correct, it was the outsider, the other, the Samaritan, that actually showed the love of God to a hurting human. But why is Samaria such a bad place to be or go? The Jews and the Samaritans had a long and difficult past. They'd split over political differences about 600 years before this meeting. And the, um, because the king had died, and Judea, the kingdom in the south, and Israel, the kingdom in the north, had decided to back different kings. Um, the southern kingdom had Jerusalem and the temple the northern kingdom, named Samaria as their capital city. Eventually, both kings, kingdoms were defeated by world superpowers. Both had the best and the brightest taken from their native lands and sent to the countries that defeated them. Samaria, at this point in time, became the name of the entire northern region. People who were not rich, famous, influential, had anything to be, uh, had anything to offer, to the new, to the world superpower, to Assyria, really, at this point, were left behind with the people that Assyria sent to make the invasion complete. Fun story. During this time, God sent lions to attack the Assyrians and the people that they'd sent because um, the people of Samaria were not following God. Somehow the king in Assyria actually understood this and sent a priest back from their capital. However, while the people worshipped God, they did not worship God alone. They, they mixed worship of God with worship of every other god or idol that they had been brought in by the people who came with them. When the people of Judah started to return to Jerusalem, the people from Samaria came to help rebuild the temple. But, but they were rejected. The people who were moving in and were rebuilding the temple saw the Samaritans as 
outsiders and half-breeds, and because they were considered no longer worshiping God, they didn't want them to touch the temple. So the people of Samaria redoubled their efforts to take care of themselves. They created a place to worship God and rejected any scriptures the rest of the Jews included. So they only had the Pentateuch, the first five books of what of our Bibles today, with some, you know, we have some differences in translation than they had. Um, so now we have a little bit of the backstory about why the conversation between a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman was worth taking note of. Jesus was at this well around noon. He'd been walking most of the day, and like every other human on the planet, he was tired and thirsty. Seeing a well, he sat down. That Samaritan woman came to get well, water at the well. The hottest time of the day was not the most convenient time to go dragging a full pot of water back to the village, but here she was doing it. We aren't sure why she was there at that time of day, but she might have been running late that day or ran out of water early or was getting more for a neighbor whose child had knocked over the water pot. The important part of this is that she was there. She had a divine appointment that she didn't know was coming. And Jesus, given all the history between the people, the Jews and the Samaritans, asked her for a drink of water. Let's go on. The Samaritan said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Notice John's editorial note. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The word associate here is not just a being seen together associate. It literally means they do not share eating utensils. Because of their history, the Jews considered the Samaritans to be perpetually, ritualistically unclean. So a Jew touching something a Samaritan touched would make the Jew ritualistically unclean, something that many Jews avoided quite strictly. And Jesus asked her for a drink all the same. In that statement, he says it doesn't matter that she, she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. And then he said something weird. He responded to her literal question with a spiritual answer. And like Nicodemus that we discussed in Pastor Vern's sermon last week, she didn't get it. She didn't understand him. Now we, like John, the writer of this gospel, have the benefit of being able to look back at this conversation and for further conversations that Jesus has where he made it known that this living water he's talking about is himself and the Holy Spirit eventually. Now living water for the woman was, means water coming from a spring, not a cistern. Living water was fresh, running, 
clean. And it's rare when you live on the edge of a desert. But because she doesn't understand, she answers again with a literal response. One that we can understand when we realize how much time is taken up daily by going out to the well to get enough water for their daily use. And her response is, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now, you are, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And this is where Jesus gets personal. But I think it's important to hear what Jesus doesn't say here as it is to hear what he does say. Before we judge her too harshly, look at what she says. She gave the truth, and Jesus affirms that. She said, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. Now, I think all of us, or maybe I should just throw myself under the bus, have given the truth, but not the full truth and the full context behind it. Here she is in a conversation with a Jewish man who is speaking a bit of weird nonsense about water. And at the beginning of the conversation, she has already said that this is rather unusual and is likely a bit unsafe for her. So why would she give her life story in that instance? She, like we, aren't going to. But she gave the truth. And Jesus' response was, what you have just said is quite true. He lets her know that her life story is about her life story, but he also affirms her honesty. There are stories and sermons. Sorry, I need to take a little bit of an editorial moment here. There are stories and sermons galore out there that take this moment to malign the woman in her questionable morals and say that she was just plain sinful, all because of her marital history. There's even a meme that goes around Facebook every once in a while that says, if the woman at the well could be divorced five times, then God can use me too. I can get behind the sentiment. We all have a past. We all have something, and God can use us, no matter what it is. But I'm gonna I can't let the statement stand about her marital history. Because if we look at the society that she's in, we need to realize that as a woman, she had no autonomy. For a woman, marriage was the only way to have financial and physical protection. Oftentimes, it was a business deal between families. Dowries included money and or property. Women were married off as soon as they were physically able to bear children, often by the time they were 14. But men didn't marry until they were in their late teens or 20s or early 20s when they could prove that they could provide for a family. And then you add in the average life expectancy of men to be around 25 to 35. Sources varied. And we find that it's entirely plausible that the woman could have been widowed more than a few times there. She wasn't able to divorce her husband unless a male relative 
petitioned the courts on her behalf, but a man could divorce her for any reason, whether it was because she couldn't bear children or because she'd burnt the lentils the night before. So with Jesus saying that she'd had five husbands and lives with a man who now lives with a man, he says this without any condemnation. He's putting John 3.17, last chapters, into action. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Yes, I believe she had a hard life. And that life probably came with more than her fair share of shame and trauma. But how did she respond to Jesus then? Let's go on with the scripture. Sir, I can see you are a prophet. Ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Notice that she didn't try to defend her background. She takes what Jesus says and realizes that because of what he says, he knows more than she understands. Maybe he wasn't speaking nonsense about water before. So she takes the opportunity to ask what he knows about the theological differences in their peoples. When has she ever had that opportunity before? Jesus affirms the differences and tells her that a time is coming when they will worship, when where they worship will not matter, and indeed that time is here. Now and not yet. Yet a time is coming and has now come. We usually hear that phrase, now and not yet, during Advent, the time leading up to the birth of Jesus, and, and it's entirely appropriate to take a look at this time, Lent, the same way. We take this time to follow the life of Jesus to his death and resurrection, to be reminded that we still live in now and yet, not yet time. We know that Jesus has conquered sin and death. We know Jesus has won the victory. We have the book. We have the end of the story. But we still live in a world that desperately needs to hear the message of Jesus. He also said that worship will be more about how they worship. It won't be about specific techniques or musical styles or places. It will be worship of God in its most purest sense. It was interesting to watch the Asbury outpouring as they were calling it over the last couple weeks. As someone who could only watch from this side of a screen and read accounts, it appeared that these students were doing just that. They were worshiping in spirit and in truth, and they were allowing God to speak into their lives. Students talked about the peace they felt in God's presence and the reconciliation that was happening there. They were confessing their sins to one another and finding freedoms from past hurts and addictions. It would be easy for us to stand here and try and copy what happened there. But I think God used this event to rekindle hope in the hearts and minds of those who have grown weary of hoping 
of waiting to see if God would ever be seen this way again. Let's keep praying for the students that they were changed by this event and keep our eyes open to what God is planning to do here. But back to woman and Jesus. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. What? Jesus tells her flat out, I'm the Messiah. Now, if we go back through the first three chapters of this book, he has plenty of opportunities already to tell people that he's the Messiah. He takes, he doesn't do it. He alludes to it. He gives stories around it. And if you look through the rest of the Gospels, they're the same way. They, t they give the same kind of account. Jesus does not say, I am the Messiah lightly. And yet he plainly tells her who he is. And from our perspective and from the Jewish perspective, he shouldn't have. She was a Samaritan. She wasn't a Jew. She was a woman. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why the Savior of the world shouldn't have let her know who he was. But it didn't matter to Jesus. He knew in that instance that she could handle it. So reacting, she then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Her reaction to being told that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for is to immediately go tell others. Immediately, she left her water jar, the whole reason she was there to begin with, and took off. Jesus telling her about her life story was how she understood that he might be telling the truth about who he is. But what about us? Are we willing to get close enough to Jesus to hear him tell our life story and his perspective on it? Are we willing to listen to his words and let us know that he knows us and that he truly loves us? And if we do, do we tell others? Are we ready to tell about what Jesus has done for us? I think sometimes we, short, stop, we stop short of declaring what Jesus has done because that means we have to tell others around us what he saved us from. But that's part of what her story was. She used that as the way to say, he knows me. Her unexpected appointment changed her life. She couldn't keep it to herself, and she had to share it with others. Let's see what happens next. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. There are just a couple of things I want to leave you with, mostly questions. 
One, are we open to divine appointments that seem like inconvenient encounters and on the surface don't seem like they might, they should be happening? Two, are we ready to share our story and the difference Jesus has made in our lives with the people we encounter? Do we live lives that make it clear that Jesus has made a difference in our world? And are we bearing witness to that work that Jesus has done in our lives? Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for the example that we have in this woman who took what you gave her and told her whole world. Lord, give us the strength and the courage and the trust in you to do that in ours. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our takeaway for this morning is we no longer believe just because of what you said. Where is your testimony inviting those around you to believe in the saving power of Jesus? And our benediction is, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.